Hi, this is James Conner, and you're listening to 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The challenges that he went through in college and coming into the league, man, he has, like, unstoppable heart. Gives to Conner up the middle. He's got a crease at the 35 of the 40. Stiff arms, breaks a tackle at the 50. Near side, 45-40. Shoves the defender to the ground. I know what I'm capable of. I know what I bring to the table. I'm going to get to another pro, but I'm going to continue to score touchdowns. I'm going to do all of that and bring this mindset to a team. The mentality to me is kind of what sets him apart. I start waking them boys up. Do you do what you do? Wolf and Luke talk Cardinals. Now. All right, hour number two of the show, live from the auction community studios. Cardinals one and one, just like the Rams, just like the 49ers, just like the Seahawks. Wolf, the entire NFC West is one and one. We were talking earlier, and I'm sure we'll get back into it later on in the show. Uh, is this maybe the best or worst? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Time to play the Rams. But one of the stories that didn't get talked about a whole lot coming out of Sunday's game was the fact that A, James Conner got injured, B, Daryl Williams and Eno Benjamin both played really well. This is a quick injury update from Cliff Kingsbury yesterday on James Conner. He'll be day-to-day. Yeah, he's a tough guy. We just wanted to make sure he was 100% if we are going to put him back in. Okay, so if you have James Conner and he's healthy on Sunday, obviously you need him. You're playing the Rams, and, and he he's a monster in, in those short yardage situations. But I'll say this, Wolf, Daryl Williams did not look bad in relief at all. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, I'm going to throw Eno Benjamin in there as well. Um, listen, James Conner is their starter. We all know that. I love James Conner, huge fan of his. But Daryl Williams and Eno Benjamin have got to play. They've got to play, man. I mean, the Cardinals need James Conner to be healthy. Correct? Yes. They need him to be rested as well. You've got to, you've got to monitor how many reps he gets because he runs very physically as well. He's a guy that will lower the boom. There are some running backs who choose the third rail of running the ball. The third rail. It's not going to the left. It's not going to the right. It's going right through somebody. James Conner chooses that rail a lot. And when you choose that third rail a lot, running over somebody, that means you're going to get banged up. So they've got to monitor how much action he gets because of his style. Daryl Williams and Eno Benjamin, who, who's not confident in either one of those guys right now? Well, that that's the thing, because as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, do I want James Conner out there against the Rams? Yes, if he's healthy, 100%. You're going to need to be as close to full strength as you can possibly be to beat this team that has been a thorn in your side since before they were even good, the Rams. Um but if James Conner's not 100% or as close to 100% as you're going to be during the NFL season, I don't think you have to rush him back based on what we saw uh, on Sunday. No. Uh, and what we've kind of heard about Eno, what we saw from him in camp, and you know what we've seen from Darrell Williams in the past with the Chiefs. He did go over 1,000 yards last year rushing and receiving. Uh, you know, I don't want him to be the number one for the entire season, but if you're telling me I can have James Conner back against the Rams, he's like 60-70%, or I can wait a week, go with Daryl Williams and Eno, and James Conner's closer to 90-95 the right. following week, right. I think there's a conversation to be had there. No doubt about it, man, but honestly, watching the tape, once again, Daryl Williams, uh, very impressive. Eno Benjamin. Eno Benjamin, I-, I think of all the guys that really have got my attention right now, it's Eno Benjamin that I have to start with, based on because this is a guy that I didn't think he was going to get a ton of action. I really didn't. I knew he was going to be the third down back, the change up back to James Conner, but I thought maybe Daryl Williams as well was going to get more action and more reps and even Eno Benjamin. That's not the case, man. They do look at Eno Benjamin as if he were Chase Edmonds. And Chase Edmonds, um, 
was a guy that was another coach on the field for the most part. Eno Benjamin is very, very similar to Chase Edmonds in every way. His personality, his physicality, the skill set he has, it's incredible. But Daryl Williams, watching him on tape. Even Eno Benjamin, yes, Eno Benjamin got my attention, but Daryl Williams flashed big time. This is a guy that ran the ball with a physicality that this team needs. You know my thoughts on Eno. He's, uh, you know, you look at the the main skill guys that have come out of ASU the last few years. It's looking like I was wrong on Nikhil. I thought he'd be a decent NFL receiver. I didn't think Brandon Ayuk would be as good as he is necessarily. But Eno is the one I was most confident. Like this guy's an NFL running back. Whatever that role is at ASU, he ran because one year he didn't have an offensive line and he still dragged ASU to games. Uh, so you know how I feel about Eno. See, I didn't think he was. I, I honestly did not. I thought, man, you know, it's it's he he's a guy who was a late round pick of course I, I, I wondered if you know Benjamin was an NFL running back I don't wonder that anymore Basin on it's no way but but on top of all that Daryl Williams is really the one that stood out to me on Sunday and that's funny because he's been in this league and he's already proven it in this league as, as much as as much as we all like you know he's he is still proving it in this league Daryl Williams has had success in this league at the highest level with the Chiefs but he was the one that really stood out to me in the second half as far as running the ball no you're right about that and for good reason uh, reason, but I, I will tell you that James Conner, um, his backup is Daryl Williams. It's not Eno Benjamin. Eno Benjamin is the changeup to James Conner. I think the backup is Daryl Williams. This is something we were talking about in the preseason, right? Did the Cardinals look at Daryl Williams as the backup to James Conner? You know, people talking about, man, Daryl Williams, he might get caught. He he might get caught. And we all kind of wondered, you know, he's they're, they're not using him a lot in preseason here. Maybe it was because the whole time they knew what they had in Daryl Williams, and he was the backup to James Conner. If, if James Conner goes down, guess who's going to get a lot of the rundown? Down reps. Yeah. Rundown. First and ten, second and one to six. It's going to be Daryl Williams. And watching him on tape, I'm all for it. That was one of the things Darren Urban uh, brought up to us during the preseason when he was on with us at one point. It's basically what you just said of, okay, yeah, Daryl, the, the backup is really, you know, 2A and 2B. And it's not a matter of, okay, we like this guy a little bit more or they're, they're close. It's more they have very different roles. And that's a nice spot to be in. I mean, if you're going to have five running backs, it is, <laughs> it's, it's better to just be like, okay, instead of we've got here one through five, these are our guys, you've got a little, um, you kind of built up more. You have a little more depth. You have a little more insurance there when it's okay. James Conner goes down. We'll go to Darrell Williams. I assume if Eno goes down, they have somebody else they would go to there. I mean, they've still got Keontae Ingram and Jonathan Ward behind them, too. James Conner doesn't sound like his injury is very. I mean, he might be back this week. He absolutely might be back this week. But if he isn't for a week or two, I feel a lot better about the backups than we did a year ago at this time. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. I was watching the tape, and there was one play, Darrell Williams on that touchdown, the Darrell Williams touchdown. That made a 23-13 Raiders at that point in time. It was awesome. I got to tell you, Luke, he, he ran right over Jayon Brown. He got hit at the line of scrimmage, then dropped his butt and drove the legs, and Brown had absolutely no response. Brown got hurt and butt hurt on the same play by Daryl Williams. Never a good combination. Never a good combination. Uh, we come back. D-backs gearing up to face the Dodgers today twice, actually. We're going to get you ready with the D-backs on deck show next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 
The home of Arizona Diamondbacks baseball is 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. We're checking in on the D-backs as they warm up for the game's first pitch. D-backs on deck, brought to you by 72 Sold. Get thousands more on your home with no inconvenience. Visit 72sold.com and buy Sonic. This is how we Sonic. Stop by your nearest location today for the Sonic Chop House Cheeseburger. For a limited time, only at Sonic. Yeah, 15 games left for the D-backs this season. Wolf, four of them are still against the L.A. Dodgers, but they get two of those out of the way today at least with a game at 12-10 and then a game at 7-10, both of them, of course, at Dodger Stadium. Well, if you're going to go out, you might as well go out big, Luke. <laughs> get rid of some of these Dodgers games. God, it feels like they've played them a lot, and they are 3-10, and actually, the D-backs over their last 13. But again, you had three games against the Dodgers mixed in there. The Padres have uh, picked it up a little bit. Actually, four games against the Dodgers count last night, so... Uh, let's start on the farm, though. It's brought to you by Redbird Farms. You can't put a price on great taste. That's true. Reno Aces at the Las Vegas Aviators tonight at 7.05 p.m. The pitching matchup for D-backs Dodgers, and we're just going to focus on this afternoon game that's coming up here in, in less than an hour. Pitching matchup is brought to you by Native Interiors. Your floors your way. Text FLOORS to 620-620 for more info. For the D-backs, it'll be Zach Davies. For the Dodgers, it'll be Michael Grove. So... Michael Grove has only started three games in his career, and this is actually going to be his fourth start in his fifth major league appearance. So maybe there is a young pitcher, although Dodgers young pitchers always seem to be good instantly, but there's one maybe the D-backs could get to. Well, it's interesting because, again, that is the key to this game, I think, for the most part. Uh, The Diamondbacks have really struggled four games, and they've scored six runs. Now, once again, the competition that they've faced has been stout, but they've scored six runs in four games. they got to get it going. they got to get the bats going. If they if they have any chance whatsoever, they got to jump on Grove. Yeah, and, and like you said, this might be a chance to do that. This will be his fourth start. His last game was against the D-backs, and the D-backs won that game. So, I mean, you know how many times the D-backs have beaten the Dodgers this year. It's not, it's not all that frequent. I mean, the Dodgers don't lose to anybody. But the D-backs got to him for two runs, two solo home runs in five innings last Wednesday in a 5-3-10 inning win there. Other than that, he's, he's faced the Marlins, Pirates, and Phillies this season. For the D-backs, Zach Davies on the mound faced the Dodgers last Wednesday. He was the starter in that win, so that's a rematch there. He didn't get the win, but he was the starter in the win. But he is uh, he got touched up by Colorado prior to that for six runs and three and two-thirds. So he's it's been kind of an up-and-down year for Zach Davies. Yeah, it has. There have been moments yeah. where he's looked really good, but yes. it's, it's he's been a roller coaster. Yeah, he, he really has. You know, once again, um, Zach Davies, I don't know about you, I really didn't expect a lot, obviously, when the Diamondbacks put him into the rotation. I didn't expect a lot out of Zach Davies, and I know that uh, his career has been up and down, of course. He's been very, very good, and then at other times, not so good. And that really has carried over, I think, to the Diamondbacks right here. He does have 122 innings pitched, of course, for the Diamondbacks. His whip is not ridiculous. One, two, five. It's not awful by any stretch of the imagination. And yet at the same time, um, he's been really, really good and really bad, uh, pretty much as advertised. Yeah, he's he's kind of been that link between Zach Gallon's been in lights out, obviously. Zach Gallon's whip for the year is 0.92 for the year. Just sick. That's unbelievable. Just anything under one with that kind of exposure, how many innings he has pitched, that's incredible. Anything under like one point 
like 110, I would say, is, is pretty sure. amazing. Uh, Merrill Kelly, for, for context, he's having a really good year. His whip's at 1.13. So you have those two. You have Gallon just pitching lights out this year, and then you have Merrill Kelly that's been pretty good. And you have Bumgarner, who's really struggled. So Zach Davies has sort of been the link uh, there between those, those two groups of starters for the D-back. So he will get to start against Michael Grove. The later one, just to, to quickly throw to this, Dre Jameson is going to make his second career start and his first start, Wolf, since talking to us on the show last week. So, uh, obviously, you have to watch a little bit closer as he faces Tyler Anderson. And I was just letting the heaters rip. <laughs> we know we know what his game plan is going to be tonight. Letting the heaters rip. Yeah, you know, once again, uh, Dre Jamison, he's got all of our attention right now. This is a young guy that has his own scoreless inning streak going at seven right now. Never and giving just, up a run. It was awesome. It was. It was great to see him. And I, I want to see what he does. How do you follow it up? It's one thing to come in and make a splash in your first start. And that's what he did. No doubt about it. Seven innings innings pitch did not give up a run what two hits um he he had an awesome outing what a great debut for jameson i want to see what happens when you take the ball again right because now all of a sudden there's a little tape that is out there it's a small sample size it's seven innings of course but what do you do now are are you as jacked up as are you as locked in as you were to make your major league debut what we're going to see but to me um anytime there's a young guy trying to make his way. I'm fascinated. It's must-see and must-hear stuff. Well, especially because not only is there a little bit of tape now on him at the Major League level, but you're pitching in Dodger Stadium, too. So if you go out there, if he goes out there and pitches well again tonight, yep. that's encouraging. The, the 4-10 and ten in their last 10 for the D-backs, but two of the four wins were Ryan Nelson going seven shutout against the Padres back on, on September 5th, and then his, uh, his roommate, uh, Trey Jamison going seven shutout innings against the Padres in his last start. All right, let's get to the keys to the game. Listen, man, I need you to be the key master. I am the key master. D-backs keys to the game presented by Mist America, home of the patented Mist 360 outdoor cooling system. Visit MistAmerica.com today for a cooler tomorrow. Well, if I think you hit the nail on the head, you got to get to Michael Grove for some runs. Uh, the only other guy in the Dodgers you know you can get to is Craig Kimbrell, who, by the way, you want to talk about a roller coaster ride. And we saw it again in the, the ninth inning last night. He came out, promptly loaded the bases, and nearly the D-backs almost came back if that hard hit ball wasn't right at a fielder in the uh, the ninth inning. But um, Grove's a guy, if you look at the D-backs, if you look at their, their hitting stats over like the last two weeks, pretty good. Jake McCarthy, really good. Uh, Corbin Carroll, Jake really McCarthy. good. You go last week, though, just the last seven days, they have struggled across the board. No, they have, and that's one of the reasons why I said, you know, the key to the game, there's no doubt about it, it's going to be the Diamondbacks being able to generate some kind of run. You know what I want to say? I want to see them get back to trying to really manufacture some runs. Get back to to that right there, and this might be the future, right? I think we'd all say that this is going to be the future for the Diamondbacks, and I, I think these guys, I want to see them get back to what it was that had us electrified watching Jake McCarthy and watching Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas watching these guys go about their business. I want to see him get back to playing some small ball once again. Uh, to that end, Jake McCarthy has the only stolen base this team has in the last week. And this is a team with blazing speed. Yes. One stolen base in a week. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, again, uh, six runs in four games. They got to do a better job of trying to manufacture runs. 
Faced Kershaw last night, faced uh, Blake Snell the other day, two of the better pitchers in the National League, but you're right. I mean, this is this is one of your strengths. Let's, uh, let's see these guys run again. Let's hit the MLB standings. They are driven by trucks only. The Valley's number one independent dealer and home of the Lifetime Engine Warranty. Well, Wolf, uh, the good news for you, as as we started this season, we found out you just want to finish at least ahead of the Colorado Rockies. Yes. Four games ahead of the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, about right that. Now. Taste it. <laughs> Take that, Taste Colorado. Colorado. Seriously, you know what the Rockies. Uh, they've officially been eliminated from the playoffs. The D-backs have not yet officially been eliminated. D-backs 68-79 and 79 on the year, four games ahead of the Rockies, two games back of the Giants. 12 games back of the Padres, who are uh, the second wild card team right now. And as far as schedule for what's uh, what's left, Wolf, like I said, just 15 games. Two of them are today. The season's going to wrap up here pretty quick. you got the Dodgers again tomorrow and Thursday. Six more against the Giants, two against the Astros, three against the Brewers, and then the season is over. Can they get to 74? Can they get to 75 wins? Can they? I, I think you had 74, and I think I had 75. Did I we, not? We may be, <laughs> right there? Maybe pretty close. Is there any way that all of a sudden lightning in a bottle? They got 15 games left. Can they actually get seven more wins? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Can they go seven and eight down the stretch? That's what you need to hit 75. They got to go seven and eight. You really got to get, if they, if they could split with the Dodgers, today, you might be on your way. Wouldn't it be really, really cool if, in fact, they were, you know, just single digits under 500? Nice. Right? I mean, that would be a little bit of a goal right there for this team. As young as this team is right now, all the young guys that are playing, making their way to me, I'd love to see that. That'd be awesome if they were seven, eight games below 500, single digits. They were four games below 500 yes. two weeks ago, yep. and, and the wheels have come off a little bit. But uh, yeah, D-backs, Dodgers, twice today. So, you got a lot of baseball for you. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. We come back and talk about a part of the Cardinals team that might actually be the most underrated part of the Cardinals team through the first couple weeks. We'll explain next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Hi, this is Cliff Kingsbury, and you're listening to 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. On the jog! Let's go! Cliff grinds. Like, he is here in this building all the time. Like, 4 a.m. Unbelievable coach. Great guy. He's not facing the same scrutiny. That pretty boy football they tried to tag us with so many years ago. Doesn't really talk much. Just kind of talks what he wants. And guys want to play for guys like that. You're only good as your last session. Wolf and Luke. Talk Cardinals. Now. All right, week two officially in the books. Cardinals preparing for week three now against the L.A. Rams. And it's uh, it's always impressive to me, Wolf, how quickly things change perceptually and, and even reality in the NFL. You come out of that first game against the Chiefs, and the Cardinals just seemingly could not protect Kyler Murray. You start to look at the schedule, and you're like, okay, great. How are they going to beat the Raiders? How are you going to beat the Rams? How are you going to deal with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones? How are you going to deal with Aaron Donald and everybody around Aaron Donald? But the offensive line handled Max Crosby and Chandler Jones pretty yeah. well on Sunday. No, there's no doubt about it, Luke. That was an area that I was really, really encouraged. Um, when Justin Pugh came back, that that brought so much stability to this offensive line. You could just see it. 
Yeah. Um, no offense to Sean Harlow, who I think was playing out of position. He was playing guard when he really is a center, in my opinion. And suddenly there you have Justin Pugh in at left guard, and it just changed everything. The dynamic, the the communication, I think, improved. And not only that, just the interior offensive line play improved. The pocket was much more stout. Um, a lot of that had to do with the fact that you've got two great edge guys coming up the field. A lot of it had to do with the fact the Raiders rush four. The vast majority of the time, they rush four and they drop seven. That was their game plan coming into this game. But the offensive line, when I watched the tape, I thought they played very, very well. I thought they did, too. I mean, even without having rewatched the game yet, although I, I, I'll be honest, Wolf, I did notice on the uh, NFL Network they are replaying the Cardinals-Raiders from 10 to 1 tonight. They are? 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Okay. I might I might check in from like midnight to 1 a.m. We watch the <laughs> end of do it that. just to see how it looks in, in, uh, in you know real time again. Uh, no, look, the offensive line early in the game, yeah, Crosby gets in there and you're like, okay, it's going to be a problem because yep. this guy is a problem. And we heard Greg Dortch uh, earlier in the week, they asked him about the secondary and he's like, you know, Chandler Jones is a problem. And we know Chandler Jones can be a problem. He wasn't a problem at all, really, on Sunday. No. DJ Humphreys. DJ he, did a fantastic wow, job. Wow, you did it, dog. Uh, and I thought Kelvin Beecham did an excellent job on the other side, and, and it wasn't just those guys. Like you said, having Justin Pugh back, if that's how much of a difference it makes to just get Justin Pugh back, then sign me up, because the offensive line, you and I talked about this going into camp, if, if you can keep your main five guys healthy, and yes. that's, that's, you know, this goes yes. for any team. But if you can keep your main five guys healthy, I like the Cardinals' main five offensive linemen. I'm not saying it's the best in the NFL, but I think it, it can be a strength on this team. And on Sunday, Wolf, they played 100% of the snaps, except DJ Humphreys missed one when he went down for a second. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Um, what's it? Yeah. No, I know. That's To me, though, once again, it was the game plan overall, base in Orleans, that really helped this team um, offensively, especially in that second half. You had to slow down the edges. This was something we were talking about all week. It was something the Cardinals were talking about all week, to your point. The edge of the Raiders, of course, with Max Crosby out there and Chandler Jones, they had to block those guys. Well, it wasn't just about blocking them. It was also about scheme. They ran a lot of counterplays. I don't know if you noticed how many counterplays they ran. Instead of lining up tight ends and running the tackle zone behind them, which they did a couple of times, no doubt about they didn't it. They lean on it, though. They really leaned on the counterplays. Play. That was the game plan. In other words, block down, everybody down. Let's say you're running at Chandler Jones. What you're going to do is block everybody down, let Chan come up field, and then you're going to kick him out with Will Hernandez. <laughs> right? Will Hernandez, there we go. He's got tons of fun, and it's coming right at Chandler Jones. And he put it on Chan a couple of times. And then you had a tight end lead up through the hole like Steven Anderson. He did a great job doing that. They ran the ball. They attacked the edges. They had 12 personnel, a lot of 12 personnel, where they lined that tight end up just to give Chan a presence, just to give Max Crosby a presence of, hey, listen, I might run right through you. What are you going to do? Don't give him a clean release up the field, in other words, to attack DJ Humphreys and Calvin Beecher. They also helped block on that 21-second two-point conversion. This is uh, Justin Pugh's recollection of that insane play. 
play. Yeah, the one that, like, the 21-second play. Like, we're just trying to wall off the defensive lines, and he's going to make a play. That's just Kyler. That's Kyler being Kyler. I mean, I've seen it for four years now. He makes magical plays happen. That that was crazy. But here's the thing, Wolf, because we talked about this a lot after the Chiefs game. Okay, Kyler didn't look comfortable against the Chiefs. Yeah. How could he? He was he was he was in trouble. He was he was pressured and, on ten of the first seventeen. And passes. Where was it? Where was that pressure coming it from? It felt like it was coming from everywhere, but it was coming from Chris Jones internally. Chris Jones with yeah. the interior pass rush, and that really is what that is the way to get to Kyler Murray. Well, if you ask me, and, and you know we'll talk more about the Rams obviously throughout the week, but that's, that's Aaron Donald can do that to you. But I, I think that it was it was very encouraging to see Kyler look confident and comfortable back there. And I don't mean confident in himself. I mean confident that the guys in front of him were going to give him a second to make a play because he didn't look that way against the Chiefs. I didn't think Kyler played bad. We both we both talked about that. Yeah. Uh, he did. He absolutely played bad against the Rams in the playoff game last year, but he had no real protection there either. So it was it was good that there was no residual effect, right? Where even if the offensive line goes out there and blocks well against the Raiders, Kyler's skittish because he he doesn't know that he can trust his guys. He looked like he trusted his guys right out of the gate, even with the early Max Crosby sack. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. Um, and again, going into this, and we talked about this as well, the interior pocket it it had to be sound, it had to be strong. It's it's this way for every quarterback. When you stop and think about it, the quickest way to get to a quarterback and to get into his head is to attack him in the A-gaps, to totally get up the field and get penetration. You know, it's called a pocket for a reason. <laughs> you know, you typically, you've got edge rushers coming upfield, of course. You've got to have a sound, stable pocket. And, man, um, week one, there was not a sound, stable pocket for Kyla Murray. And yesterday, or yesterday, on Sunday, there was. I'm watching the that replay. That was the difference in the game. I'm watching the replay of the uh, that last two-point conversion, the one that you know, we talked to Cliff yesterday. He said as a, as a former quarterback, that's the one that was more impressive to him, even than the 21-second run was the Kyler's ability to throw. And it was the one you and I talked about. If that's the play, Kyler, if you're a critic, you, you don't think he can make, right? The throw over the middle in a yes. position like that. I'm watching the replay right now, and he's just he's standing in the pocket, and nobody is getting by Rodney Hudson or Justin Pugh or Kelvin Beecham. And the Raiders, like you said, are only rushing four on the play. Yeah. Uh, it's from the seven yard line, obviously, but, um, but I mean, they're not even close to him. He's just standing right in there throwing yes. right over the middle. Yeah. And that, that to me again, um, was the reason why I said that that was the most encouraging play that I think happened. And it was because of Kyler Murray and the fact he was in the pocket when he threw that ball, man, that is where he's got to continue to develop his game. And he certainly took a big step in doing that against the Raiders. All right, we come back. Trey Lance is done for the year. He's had a rough start to his career, and that alters things in the NFC West as well. We'll explain next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. I remember syrup sandwiches and crime allowances, finessing on them with some counterfeits, but now I'm counting this. Parmesan with my accountant lives in fact. All right, Wolf, we, um, I think we all kind of thought when the 49ers brought Jimmy G back, we're going to see him at some point this season. Now, I thought, honestly, it was going to get to the point where they made it look like, hey, Trey Lance is a little busted up here. He's going to sit for a week, and we're going to see what Jimmy G can do. Obviously, that's not the case. Trey Lance, horrible luck, is done for the year. And, um, you know, the 49ers 
it almost doesn't feel right that they get to just go to Jimmy G now with how much they basically tried to throw him away in the offseason. They should have to go to Nate Sudfeld, quite honestly. That was the guy they gave $2 million to because they didn't want Jimmy G around the team. But Jimmy G's back, and with all due respect to Trey Lance, we just haven't seen it yet because he hasn't been on the field much. Uh, I think the 49ers are, have a better chance to, to go deeper in the playoffs at this exact moment because you at least know what you have with Jimmy G, even if he's not, he's not ever going to be great. He really is just above average, but we know he can have success with the 49ers because he's done it pretty extensively for two years. First of all, let me just say right now, I feel very badly for Trey Lance. Yeah, I do too. I, I really do. It's okay? not his like, fault. He got thrown into this. Exactly right. It's not his fault that the San Francisco 49ers traded three first-round picks to move up to number three. It's not his fault that they did that and moved up to get him. And they don't even really let him throw. They just have him run all the time. Yeah, okay. It's, it's still um why do you think that is? Well, but that's that, right? I mean, if you if you're going to trade all that up to get the guy and you're going to make him the starter and you don't trust him to throw well, and guess what? Running. They found out, okay? Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. They found out, of course, in year 2 that oh my goodness, this may not go the way that we thought. He is not seeing the field. He's not reading coverage. He's not going through his progression correctly. We're in trouble. And he's not very accurate as well. So now all of a sudden, you've got Jimmy G. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, I've said this over and over again, but it was so clear. It was so evident. You knew this was coming. When they moved on Jimmy G, when they told Jimmy G, I don't want you to show up at all at minicamp. Don't even show up. We know Jimmy G was gone. And the reason why they didn't want him to show up is because everybody on that team was going to be looking at Jimmy G right in front of them saying, that's our quarterback. This guy is not as good as that guy is. They didn't want that, and I get that. And you know who knows that better than anybody else? John Lynch, who happens to be the general manager for the 49ers. Why would would John Lynch not want that happening? Because he knows what players think and that players talk. And suddenly there's Jimmy G, who's the best quarterback on the roster, and yet you don't invite him to minicap. It just something doesn't feel right. And I know it's not, it's just, it's bad luck that this happened to Trey Lance, but it, it just feels like the 49ers get. Not that they wanted Trey Lance hurt, but it seems like over the last couple of weeks they have decided, like you're saying, Jimmy G gives us a better chance to win. What are yeah. we going to do? This is awkward. They kind of get off the hook. They get saved the embarrassment because Trey Lance is hurt. And like you said, he didn't do anything wrong. Right. It's not his fault. None of this Correct. is his fault. Trey Lance doesn't do anything right, wrong. He ends up being the one that gets hurt. And the 49ers just get to roll out there with Jimmy G again. Yeah. And they're probably going to have a lot of success this year. And guess year. what? They're going to be a better team because of it. They that, did waste a bunch of picks moving up. That is, yeah, but... That's the scary thing, because right now, I look at their roster, and we all know that offensively and defensively, the 49ers have built a very good roster, one of the better rosters in the league. Um, the problem was Trey Lance. They had an unproven quarterback. How could you, get, how could you look at the 49ers and think they're going to be a top 10 team in the NFL when they've got a huge question mark? At quarterback. Remember all the preseason analysis that was going on in loving the 49ers? 
How? No, that that's a great question. I will say Vegas didn't necessarily love the 49ers, and now they do. Now that Jimmy G, <laughs> yeah, right. Now they do with yeah. Jimmy G. Look, the the roster is fantastic that they've built. How do you bring that roster out? You go ahead and you bring in a Jimmy G, uh, I, who was a qualified quarterback. I think when Jimmy G was was Brady's backup in New England, he was very overrated because people just assumed, hey, he's learning from Tom Brady, he's going to be amazing. But to a certain extent, he's been underrated since then. We have seen the 49ers make it to the Super Bowl with him. And we've seen the 49ers come within one Jaquaski tart interception, dropped interception, for making it to the Super Bowl again last year with Jimmy G. Now, here's Dan Orlovsky yesterday talking about a quarterback that isn't named Matthew Stafford. We know who this 49ers team is with Jimmy Garoppolo. They're good, but they're not championship caliber. This is not the same defense that they've had in the years past. The reason they got Trey Lance or went to go get Trey Lance and gave him the job because they wanted more and better out of their quarterback position. They're going to be really good, but they're still going to be kept at a ceiling of can Jimmy G take them to places that he hasn't been able to? He doesn't have to. Yeah. He doesn't have to take them anywhere. He just has to help them get there. You know, well, they're going to be really, really good, he said. Um, but yeah, of course, he's talking about in terms of winning a Super Bowl. I yeah. understand that. They wouldn't be my pick, but the NFC is pretty wide open. Would it shock you if the 49ers won the division now? No. It wouldn't shock me It either. would not. Not not in the least. Uh, not that good a roster. On the other side of things, though, of this conversation is Trey Lance. Here's more from Orlovsky. I'm hopeful that Trey Lance's career is incredibly long. My, my fear is that this is three years now of Trey Lance going really long times without playing football. That's a big deal. He didn't play his last year at college. He didn't play much last year, and he's not going to play much this year. I hope he's going to be just fine. But his development which is so paramount, is three years without playing football at that position, that's brutal, man. That is brutal. He's not wrong. I mean, Trey Lance will have nine games played if you count his last year at North Dakota State in his first two years with the 49ers, and a lot of those nine games were not full games. you know. So now you're talking about pieces of nine games over three years when you don't have... You don't have a proven record. This isn't Aaron Rodgers missing three years, and everybody's like, okay, when he comes back, he's going to be amazing. I don't know. I mean, what, what do the 49ers do if they go on another decent run in the playoffs this year? Are they really going to try and run Jimmy G out of town again for Trey Lance coming back from an injury totally unproven? Yeah, they are. I think they are. <laughs> I mean, they, look, are they are crazy if they do that. You have to why. I've... You've already made your mind up on Jimmy G. They've already moved off Jimmy G. They when they, like they moved when back, they moved though. up when they moved up. Hey, listen, it was it was the obvious thing to do. They had him right there in front. Nobody else was going to give him what they wanted in return for Jimmy G. Nobody else was going to give him that. He was right there, and the the cold hard reality once again. Of, of John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan sitting there knowing that Jimmy G was better than Trey Lance, which is why they didn't invite him to minicamp. And they knew it, and they know it, and now Trey Lance has gone down, and they, they're they off the hook right now because of that. Because they can go to Jimmy G. That's the reason why they signed him back. Listen, they know he's the better quarterback. Yeah, but what? what okay, let's say let's say a very similar scenario 
to what happened last year plays out this year. Let's say the 49ers, let's say they make the playoffs. They don't win the division, but they're the wild card. They're top wild card, okay? And let's say they win at least one, maybe two playoff games. They don't win the Super Bowl. They don't get to the Super Bowl. But they make another run into the playoffs. Yeah. Are they really going to come back next year and be like, <laughs> we've seen nothing from Trey Lance. He's the starter? Yeah, they're they're not going to have Jimmy G as their starter. I can tell you <laughs> that right now. It's the, I mean, honestly, what, are you going to sign him to an extension? He should Some go, four-year contract right now? He should be like, you know no. what? He should be like, okay, Jimmy, we need you back in there, Jimmy. You've been our guy all along. Jimmy, you're you're a game manager. That's what I think they think he is. A game manager quarterback. If they if they went to him this week and he's like, Yeah, I'm good. You know, I, I you know you guys told me I could go ahead and find a trade. I found one. I I found somebody that wants to trade for me. Get me out of here. How great would that be? I mean he's never gonna do it. He's a starting quarterback on a Super Bowl caliber roster. But it would just be funny with the way that they have handled this if he's like, you know what, I don't want to play for you guys. You already yeah. told me you don't like me. Uh, I think they think Jimmy G is good enough to get him to the playoffs. Uh, I don't think they think Jimmy G is good enough to win a Super Bowl. They might be right. They just they shouldn't get to have him to fall back on now. Look at other teams around the league. When they lose players, they don't have anybody to fall back on. Dallas loses Dak. I guess Cooper Rush won, so I should never question him again. But they, it's, most teams, when they lose their starting quarterback, don't have a Jimmy G to fall back on. And the one team that has made it abundantly clear they don't want him is the 49ers, and they get him to potentially rescue them now. It's incredible. Uh, We come back, all of the top stories of the day. Wolf and Down Your Lunch is next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.